Hey Rebels, I got a story for today that I think is going to make you mad. Uh, I tell it to you because I think you should be mad. It's about a teacher in the town of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, who when a kid showed up with a Make America Great Again hat on, the teacher told the kid to stand up, led the entire class in booing the student, called him a racist and a sexist, and said he had a punchable face. If you think that's bad, how the school covered up for it and how the media whitewashed it is even worse. I've got access to information documents from the school that tell me all I need to know. And I'll tell you about it in a moment. But before I do, hey, please help me out and subscribe to our podcast as a premium subscriber. The podcast's free. You know that. But if you go to the rebel.media slash shows and sign up to be a premium subscriber, you can see this in video form where I will take you through the documents. I will show you in the student's own handwriting what happened. I will show you a text message with the principal of the school. I got the documents, but you got to use your eyes to see them. And for that, you got to be a premium member. It's only eight bucks a month. Folks, that's what, half the cost of a latte at Starbucks? Go to the Rebel Up Media slash shows. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, a Saskatchewan teacher told a student he'd like to punch him in the face because the kid wore a Donald Trump hat and the media and the school forgave the teacher. We've got shocking new documents that raise even more questions. It's May 2nd. This is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Thank consumer you. I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government but why is because it's my bloody right to do so. Do you remember a story from Saskatchewan from February? A high school student in Moose Jaw, population 35,000, wore this hat, Make America Great Again, to school. Now that's Donald Trump's slogan. The hats are as iconic for Trump as the graffiti-style Hope poster that was made for Barack Obama. So this grade nine kid, his name is Bryce Bauman. Uh, kid likes politics. Moose Jaw's a pretty conservative town. So he wears that hat to school and, well, I'll let Bryce's dad, Darren, tell you the rest. Here's an excerpt of an interview that Bryce's dad did with our friend John Gormley on Saskatchewan Radio. What did your son do last week? Well, it's just to back the back to us up a bit, just to let you know, he's got a couple older brothers that uh, have graduated school. They went to a different school. But uh, they were all pretty much, you know, they're all the same. They're really into politics. They guess the channel is different channel. They watch CNN, different news. So, Bryce, you know, they're interested in politics. There's a lot of talk politics around the house. So, you know, Bryce likes to debate with, uh, you know, people of different views. And the only place he's going to find those views in school, right? Because right. you don't know any liberals, and you don't really have any liberals that I know of. I'm not going to admit to it. But, uh, yeah, so on Thursday, he goes to school wearing the MAGA hat, encounters uh, one teacher, and, you know, they have a little debate, talking about it, back and forth, different things about American politics, no problem. And then uh, he gets approached by the other teacher, and uh, he's, he's told that he is, uh, should be embarrassed and ashamed to wear that hat. And uh, I'm not sure if he called Bryce a racist and a sexist, or he said that hat is racist and sexist, but either way, same thing, right? But, uh, yeah, and then later on in the day when he went to art class, the, he, the class was invited to boo Bryce. And uh, the teacher said that Bryce, something about, you know, the effect of uh, at the face I'd want to punch. So you've got a teacher telling a grade nine student that he's got a face he'd like to punch. And he tells other kids to boo that kid Bryce and that Bryce is racist 
But here's how the local newspaper ran the story. Spat over MAGA hat at Peacock Collegiate ends in resolution. All parties moving forward after disagreement between student and teacher Peacock over a Make America Great Again hat. <laughs> so it's all just a little spat and it's all good. I mean, there's nothing to see here. Why are we even writing this story? Everyone's moving forward. It was just a disagreement between a teacher and a student. Everyone's equally to blame. And so we're just all moving on. Um, it's not even a story. You know, there's a 14-year-old kid and a grown teacher, power imbalance, but they're both fine. Thanks for checking. Let me read a little bit from the story. An incident involved a teacher and a student uh, is getting plenty of attention on social media. But Tony Baldwin, director of education for the Prairie South School Division, is pleased with how the school reacted to the incident. <laughs> I mean, is that even news reporting? You're reporting an incident. And you're pointing out that other people have talked about the incident and given real facts. But before you even say what the incident is, you're letting everyone know it's over with and everyone's pleased. So don't even really talk about it. I mean, really no real person. Um, there's no real reason to even report it. It's done, people. The school themselves say so, so it's got to be true. That's not journalism. That's unjournalism. John Gormley was doing journalism, the Moose Jaw Today article. It's anti-journalism. Folks, folks, someone might have been talking about something. Let's just call it the incident. Best not to talk about it. And it's over anyways, and we're all moving forward. And the school themselves says everything's fine, so there's fine. Let me read some more. A Peacock student wore a red Make America Great Again hat that featured U.S. President Donald Trump's presidential campaign slogan, and which had become ubiquitous among his supporters, to class. Subsequently, he and his teacher got into a disagreement about the meaning behind the hat. <laughs> is that what happened there? The, the teacher and, uh, disagreed with a grade 9 kid about the meaning of the hat? Is that, is that what the incident was? Or did a teacher lead the class in booing a boy, bullying him? Did the teacher say it was racist and he was racist for wearing it? Did the teacher say he had a punchable face? Because that's what I heard the dad say. Let me read some more. We've got 400 teachers and 6,500 kids working in schools all over the place. And from time to time, we have little bumps in the road. And that's what we had last week at Peacock, Baldwin said. From my perspective, we had a bump in the road. And it was really well managed by the principal and the teacher and the student and the student's family. It's over and done with. I mean, come on. We all have bumps in the road, right? I mean, you guys, why are you even reporting on this bump in the road? There's so many kids. There's just some bump in the road. And we're all really pleased with everybody, especially ourselves, if we do say so ourselves. So can you just bury this story? Why, yes, yes, they would. It, I mean, we're halfway through the article already. It's boring bureaucrats speak, and they actually haven't even said what the incident was, did they? Just a disagreement over meaning? And anyways, don't believe what you might have seen on social media. It's all lies. Believe the spin doctor for the school. Instead, I'll read some more. It was on its way to be completely solved before any of that social media reaction happened, Baldwin said. I use social media for recipes, but it's not a real good place to find out factual information about what goes on in schools. <laughs> Let me read one more line. It's just a, it's perfect. In general, I don't talk about disciplinary things, but I can tell you there was absolutely no disciplinary action taken against either the student or the teacher. That was never in the conversation, Baldwin said. Wow, isn't that kid lucky he wasn't disciplined? I mean, 
He really was equally to blame here, wasn't he? I mean, it takes two to boo. You have the booing and you have the person being booed. They're both equally to blame. It takes two to threaten to punch someone in the face. The guy with the face, he's one party, and the prospective face puncher. So both parties regret what happened. Both are moving forward and lucky for them, we'll let both of them off this time, including the kid with the punchable face. We'll let him go this time, but we might discipline him later for just being so damn punchable. I'll read some more. In this case, everybody agrees that the school did a real good job of supporting everybody and getting us rolling again after the bump, you know, bump and that settles that. I mean, everyone agrees that we're doing a great, great job. Oh my God. I was just a tiny bit curious. So we sent in an access to information request to the school for their own internal records on the matter, and uh, we got them. Can I show them to you? So I'm not using that awful social media where apparently the school spin doctor gets recipes. I've never heard of anyone doing that, but I guess that all it's good for is recipes. I'm instead going to use the school's own records here. Uh, now, they've redacted the names of individuals, but some of them we can guess, obviously. And, you know, it won't surprise you to learn that the school is a pack of liars. Are you surprised? Let's start with what the students say happened. Let's start with Bryce Bauman himself. Here's the letter he wrote. And again, I'm going to say the word blank when something is blanked out. Sometimes I'll say a teacher or a name that I do know, but mainly I'll say blank. Blank and I were having a debate in class because I wore a Trump hat. And after the debate, we went into the hall to practice a play. And blank came in and started to debate with us. And when blank left, the teacher said that Trump is racist and sexist. And if you support him, you are too. And you should be ashamed and embarrassed to wear that hat. Then in period four art, Teacher made me stand up in front of the class and tried to get everyone to boo me. Then teacher called me racist and sexist. Then teacher pointed at me and said, that's the kind of face I would like to punch. Sounds like a great school, really, really good learning environment. I bet they're really good at anti-bullying week, don't you? So that's what the student in the hat himself said. Bryce Bauman's his name. We know that because his dad went public. Maybe he's lying, though. What do his classmates have to say? Again, these are letters I received through an access to information request from the school. So these are the school's own records. Let me read them to you. The names are redacted by the school board for privacy reasons. Here's student number one, as he's called. We were in hallway practicing a play. Blank and blank were having a discussion about Trump and American politics. Uh, blank came in and uh, began to join the discussion. Blank spoke. Blank mind and said things blank very disliked Trump for blank. Then told Bryce should be ashamed to wear that hat along with things like how if he supports Trump, he's a racist and things like that. Art class, start a class. Teacher told Bryce to stand up and say things like that uh, blank sexist and racist and other rude terms. He then said that after uh, blank has done lunch, the teacher was going to use that hat as a trash can. He then started booing Bryce. And he got mad at the class when they wouldn't boo with him. He also said, that's the face of a person I'd like to punch. Sounds like a nice guy. Real man's man. Taking on a 14-year-old boy like that. That's, that's courage. That's the finest.
Let me read student number two, which is almost identical. Again, this is from the school. Teacher said during attendance, Bryce, stand up. Everybody look what Bryce is wearing on his head. And Bryce was wearing a Make America Great Again hat. And teacher said, everybody boo Bryce. And said, boo. And teacher said, Bryce must be racist and sexist and a bully. And then said, that's the kind of face I would like to punch. And Bryce sat down because he was embarrassed. Serves him right, eh? I mean, come on. So this kid, Bryce, 14 years old, grade nine, was just talking politics with other students. Teacher wasn't even involved with it. I think it's normal, fine, healthy. Kids talk politics, whatever. But the teacher didn't talk politics, did he? Teacher was a weird bully who brought it up in class. Teacher told Bryce to stand up. Teacher told the class to boo Bryce. Teacher led the booing. Teacher said that Bryce or the hat or both or either, same thing, were racist. And then the kid had a punchable face. That's a really good thing to hear from a man. Hey, can't control his rage, brings it into class. You got a punchable face. I got to boo you. Got a punchable face. You watch out. Now, that's what Bryce's dad told John Gormley on the radio. That's what both student witnesses said. Uh, that's what Bryce himself said. But what did the teacher himself say? The bully, the bigot, the intolerant threatener who thought maybe he'd punch someone in the face, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, he said, yeah, he did all that. He's so gross. Here's the teacher's own letter. When Bryce came in, he was still wearing the hat. So I said, Bryce, stand up and let everyone see the hat you're wearing. And when Bryce did, a few kids were cheering. I was booing, but I didn't mean for it to be in a vindictive way. In my mind, at the same time, it was the same as booing a sports jersey or something. And so as the ruckus sort of quieted down and Bryce was sitting down, again without the hat on, I said something to the effect, without providing any reference to what I was thinking about, which was those kids in Washington, D.C., that it doesn't matter what you believe, people are going to call you sexist and a racist and are going to want to punch you in the face. Hey, guys, I, I said that in a way that wasn't mean, and I, the booing, it was in a good way, and singling him out, it was totally, you know, yeah, I did it, but you have to know, um, it was really a great way I was doing it. So Bryce's dad, who, who you heard on John Garmley's show, he sent a letter to the school. I won't read it all to you. Uh, he said it was unacceptable, of course, what happened to his son. He said other kids had started calling his son a racist because of what that teacher had said and done. It must be true. And the teacher replies by email because he's classy that way. He didn't phone, he didn't mean, he just sent a quick email, you know. And he lied to the dad. He just lied. He's a goddamn liar. I, sh I showed you what he said in the note to the principal. I showed you what Bryce and his two classmates said happened. Um, and what the teacher admitted to, to the principal. But here's what that goddamn liar teacher wrote to the dad. I had no idea he took our exchange so personally. <laughs> yeah, I certainly realized, looking back, that I never should have singled him out in the, in the art room in front of his friends and classmates. A huge error in, in my judgment on my part. I met with uh, Blank today and Dustin and apologized to Blank as well. I, I think... Uh, Bryce misheard or misconstrued my statements as clearly, I mean, I would never threaten a student, but nevertheless, I was in error. Um, Bryce carries himself so confidently, I truly believed he wasn't upset again. My apologies. Really, you had no idea that he would take it personally. Being told to stand up, 
you're leading them in, in the class and booing him, telling him he's racist and sexist, he's got a punchable face, uh, while the other kids are being egged on. I mean, it's just bullying one away. You know, that's called an ironic apology. In Chinese, there's a special word for an ironic apology. I'm sorry that your kid is so thin-skinned. I'm sorry that your son took my abuse so personally. I'm sorry that when he heard me say he's got a punchable face, you know, he, you know uh, I don't know why he just thought I would never mean that. I'm sorry he thought I meant that. No, you goddamn liar, you admitted it, as did all three witnesses. Stop lying, you goddamn lying liar. Um, I truly believed he wasn't upset, so it's all fine. And is this email okay with you? Because it's almost the weekend, I gotta go. What a disgrace. What a disgrace this entire school is. But hey, local newspaper said it's all great, nothing's wrong. They didn't even describe what happened. It's just the incident. Can we just say the incident from now on? A fact not missed by the school. Look at this. Um, this is a, a text message. Uh, you see, there's a picture of that article from Moostraw today. And this is the principal, Dustin, uh, who says, got some decent press here. So this is a text message. Uh, got some decent press, as in the boy was equally blamed, the teacher's name and actions were kept hidden, and the school praised itself, and the incident was never described. So yeah, a pack of lies from a pack of liars. Quick questions. If some student had worn that Obama shirt to class, like this one, and a teacher had made him or her stand up to be booed, to be called names, to be told they had a punchable face, or, or say a Trudeau shirt, not that a Trudeau shirt is really a thing. Do you think it would have ended this way? Do you think it would have ended this way? With the teacher's identity being kept a secret? With his threat kept a secret by the media? No discipline whatsoever. School circling the wagons. School covering for him. School even blaming the kid equally. Oh, I'm, we're not going to discipline either of them. That kid had better watch himself, though. That face is so punchable. This is going to happen again, that face. You think that would happen if he had a Trudeau or Obama shirt? Yeah, me neither. And if that's how it is with our teachers' unions and our media in right-wing Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, imagine what it's like in Vancouver, in Toronto, in Montreal. Stay with us for more. Just asking people if they would like to sign a petition. It's about Loblaws getting $12 million of taxpayer money to buy new refrigeration units. And we just think a multi-billion dollar company, one that was caught price fixing bread for 15 years with the bakers, why can't they buy their uh, fridges with the their bed. own money? I'll <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh, definitely sign Thank it. you, sir. Okay. That is, that's tragic. I mean, it's almost like, you know, for me, money going down the toilet. 100% ma'am, and that we, we've already got more than 8,000 signatures on our petition, so we thought we'd go to individual Loblaw stores and see what shoppers have to say. So if you would Absolutely. like to, Oh, thank you very Absolutely. much, ma'am. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, then. Would you like to sign it, ma'am? Oh, thank you so much. 
they're getting two, $12 million from the government? The federal government, that's correct, yes. That's Galen Weston needs money from the government? <laughs> Can you believe it? No, I think that's ridiculous. You know? That's ridiculous. And well, that's our friend David Menzies at a Loblaw store in Toronto getting signatures for our buyyourownfridges.com campaign. As you know, Loblaw is one of the wealthiest companies in Canada owned by the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest families in Canada, the Weston, got a $12 million gift from the federal liberals to buy new fridges. Um, they can buy their own fridges. Well, we learned through a lefty publication called the National Observer that wouldn't you know it, Loblaw sent some high-priced lobbyists to liberal fundraisers right before the decision to give them the 12 mil was made. Joining us now in studio is our friend David Menzies. Hey, David. Nice to be here. Well, I tell you, they operate in a real high league. I know one of the questions you asked in Loblaws were, do you think Trudeau would buy you a new fridge? And everyone <laughs> sort of laughed. Well. If you hire a fancy lobbyist for you yeah. who goes to the right places, maybe you really could get a fridge, but you've got to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on lobbyists, but maybe you get $12 million worth of fridges. But you know, here's the thing, Ezra, um, from the economic angle, I think this is a total backfire. I can't quantify it, but I could probably find people in the marketing and public relations business that could. Loblaw's got $12 million for these new refrigerants. But how many millions of dollars did they receive in public relations, black eyes, plural? I mean, this was in the news cycle pretty frequently, and, it was, and the optics were brutal. A multi-billion dollar corporation with uh, the dominant market share in Canada for groceries just coming off a price-fixing scandal yeah. with bread is not being punished, but rather rewarded $12 million. I know I think this completely blew up in their faces. The second thing is this, Ezra, uh, as much as uh, our um, environment and uh, climate change minister, I'll never get used to saying that, climate change minister, as much as she loves the idea of, oh, look at how they're taking the emissions of 50,000 cars off the road. Um, if that is true, if their energy consumption is going down, if you and I ran Leventin, Menzoids, uh, you know, Grossateria, aren't we already economically incentivized, mm -hmm. Ezra, to buy the most uh, energy efficient refrigerants because we're going to save money on energy costs. Yeah, it, it, none of it makes any sense other than the Liberals take care of their own. And I'm going to disagree with you because let's say we all hate Loblaws. Yeah. And I do because of the bread price fixing. Yes. I mean, there's normally white collar crime, you're stealing from like billionaire investors and it's not good. Yes. But like Milken who went to prison for, for securities fraud, he was stealing mainly from millionaires and billionaires. What kind of a person, like I don't believe in any sort of theft, but what kind of person steals bread from yeah. the mouths of the poor? That is a certain kind of lowness that they don't even know about in Wall Street. It, but, but great point, by the way. You know, it's not like they were price-fixing caviar. Yeah. Bread is a staple of even the poorest people. Yeah, and, and people with medium or high incomes can afford to pay an extra buck or two a loaf. Yeah. But if you're poor, you can't. Right. That's why Loblaws will be a disgrace and Weston deserves to go to hell, like when he dies, deserves to go to a fiery place for all the poor people whose lives he made worse. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't, he didn't break into a house to steal. But for years, for a decade or more, 14 years, they made bread a luxury good for poor people. That deserves to go to hell. 
I think. But here's my point. What are you going to do about it? So we all know that he's a crook. We all know that he stole bread from the mouths of the poor. We all know that they got a $12 million gift from the liberals. What are you going to do about it? You still got to buy your groceries. Um, they own so many different, kind, like Loblaws and TNT and, and so many different, like you don't even know all the different things that they own. And really, it's like the cell phone companies in Canada. I don't know anyone who likes their cell phone company. <laughs> Customer service is terrible. Prices are atrocious. Service is bad. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. They're all equally bad. And so, yeah, their reputation is in the mud, but they're laughing all the way to the bank. And what are you going to do? Yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it's, very, it's almost an oligopoly in terms of their share market share. Um, and you're also right, uh, the number of banners that they operate. I mean, it was funny. When I was doing those uh, streeters in Loblaws, uh, Ezra, one fellow says, oh, I didn't know about that. You know what? From now on, I'm going down the street to no frills. Ah, uh, sorry, buddy. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that's a, a Loblaw company uh, banner as well. And as our uh, dear colleague out west, Sheila Gunn-Reed, uh, pointed out, uh, she had a great commentary on this where she says, of course, we're not going to ask you to boycott Loblaws because in many small communities all across Canada, that's the only game in town, a Loblaws grocery store. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what we can do about it. And certainly the penalty, Ezra, I'm sorry, a $25 gift card to, to buy more Loblaw stuff. <laughs> well, and that's and to get it, you have to waive your rights to sue them. Correct. I, you know what? This is just right out of the pages of SNC-Lavalin. It's back-scratching for connected uh, oligarchs. And what a laugh that for a brief moment, some people actually thought Justin Trudeau was a grassroots, sunny ways guy. He's just as corrupt as the Quebec liberals always have been. Last word to you, my friend. Last word is this. Um, it was the tweet from uh, Catherine McKenna where she's posing with a, um, a Loblaws operations manager, I believe, and a, a manager at a Loblaws local store. And she's putting it out there. Isn't this great? We're, we're giving them $12 million of your money. Yeah. Shouldn't say that part, though, so that they can buy these fancy smancy refrigerants. And I, I, I don't know if it's chutzpah or arrogance or just a, a failure to realize, Ezra, how horrible the optics are here. Yeah. Well, listen, that's the global warming minister who jets around. Oh, that's yeah. someone saying you need to uh, make your life smaller. And she spent six grand on a fashion photographer to cover her when she made a little business trip to France. Uh, so they're so unmoored from reality. I, I think they're mad. Hopefully they'll be dispatched in October's election. Great to see you again, my friend. Thank you so much. All Andrew. right, folks, if you haven't signed up yet, you can go to buyyourownfridges.com. Stay with us. Your letters are next. Welcome back to my monologue yesterday about a father being banned from calling his own daughter a girl. Deborah writes, step by step, they are stealing our parental rights. It used to be that they couldn't question your child without a parent being present. I think they've crossed the line here. That's a very good point. Now it's sort of the opposite. You're not allowed to be present where other people question your child. And what are, what are other adults doing having access to a child of tender years? Now, 14 isn't quite tender years, but talking to a 14-year-old about sexual matters is not normal. Uh, in fact, that's statutory rape uh, if a kid at 14 has sex. 
what are all these activists doing having access to kids to talk about sex in secret? I'm sorry, the whole GSA, Gay Straight Alliance business in Alberta, I don't think the objections were to a gay club on campus. Although I tell you, when I was in high school, there were no such things. There were gay kids, obviously, but there weren't these clubs. But to have a teacher activist and then make the club secret. Sorry, folks, that ain't normal. That ain't normal. What, why would you have an activist sexualist talking to kids about sex and keeping it secret from parents. It's the opposite of what, uh, of the idea of a per parent being in, it's just, it's so backwards, it's gonna blow up. It's gonna blow, I tell you, one day a dad is gonna react violently to this. I don't want that to happen, but if you have no authority over your family, if you can't protect your family from crazy activists, and if a court says you can't even call your daughter a girl, I swear one day someone's gonna get a gun out of pure frustration and desperation. I don't want that to happen, but I, it's a prediction, not a hope. John writes, if it's family violence to disagree with your teenager on some social and political issues and say so out loud, then I think these judges have just made every parent in Canada a criminal. Yeah, and um, without any authorization, judges are not high priests, they're not magicians, they're not holier than us, they're not more inspired than us. Their job is to interpret, uh, interpret the law. Not to write the law, by the way, but to interpret the law as written, to uphold the law, to enforce the law. And this is beyond any norms. This is, and and it, it goes to the increasing alienation of people from the elites in this country. On my interview with Lauren Gunter, Peter writes, BC needs an attitude adjustment to shake them out of their arrogant, self-righteous hypocrisy by cutting off the gas flow, but BC is not the only arrogant, Self-righteous hypocrites, the Quebec politicians also fit in that category. Yeah, you know, um, what's so weird is that Quebec has not reduced its consumption of oil and gas. They don't fly any less, they don't drive any less. They just buy oil from America, mainly. And they've actually increased their imports from Saudi Arabia. I don't know why they think they're oil-free. They just switch sources from ethical oil to conflict oil. I just don't get it. I think that they're deeply misinformed. I think they're self-deluded. Did I ever tell you this story? Let me, give me, let me give you a two minute anecdote. When I first wrote my book, Ethical Oil, about a decade ago, I was invited to testify before Parliament's uh, Standing Committee on Natural Resources. Can you believe it? So I went there to talk about my book. And the Liberals stonewalled. They didn't ask me any questions. It was just conservatives. And it was afterwards, Denis Coderre, who went on to become the mayor of Montreal, he was the natural resources critic for the liberals. Of course, I mean, a, a Montrealer, why wouldn't he be the natural resources critic? So I gave him a copy of my book, and I inscribed it to him, and I handed it to him, and I said, um, Montreal has more conflict oil than any other city in Canada, I said to him, because not only does it come up by tanker from the uh, St. Lawrence Seaway, but at the time, there was a major pipeline called the Portland um, Montreal pipeline that would go Portland, Maine, up to Montreal. So I happened to know that, and I said, of all the cities in the country, your city has the most conflict oil. And you know what he said to me? He said, mais non, we get our oil from Maine. And I thought, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So he knows that there's a pipeline from Portland, Maine, to Montreal. So he knows more than most Montrealers. But either he knows, or he doesn't know when he's guessing, or he's, he thinks that Maine is like an oil state where all this oil comes from. No, 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 it's all these Saudi and other OPEC tankers stopping in Maine, disgorging their OPEC oil, putting it in a pipe, and bringing it up 
to Montreal, but because it had that little journey in a pipe that started in Maine, all that Saudi conflict oil was amazingly turned into Maine oil. Like, I don't know, like some Ben and Jerry's ethical ice cream from Vermont or something. Denny Coderre, I don't know if he was deluded or lying or this was his way of, you know, psychologically coping. He actually thought all that OPEC oil came from the state of Maine. Maybe that's not as insane to you as it struck me in the moment, but I thought, holy moly, if that's what the man who went on to be mayor of Montreal thinks, you can imagine how disinformed that city is. Folks, that's the show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.